This is NPR's Life Kit. I'm Megan Kane. I'm the managing producer. For years now, I have identified as a people pleaser. I took so much pride in being the coworker who took on every project, even if I had too much on my plate. I was also the friend who said yes to every happy hour invite, even though I knew I just really had to do laundry that night. But what could I do? I was a certified grade A people pleaser. This was my identity, right? I do think that the world does socialize a lot of us into being people pleasers. And people pleasing is a habit. That's Natalie Liu. I am a writer, blogger, speaker, podcaster over on my website, baggagereclaim.com, which just turned 15 at the weekend. Wow, they grew up so fast. I know, I know. I feel like it's approaching adulthood and I have to figure out what university it's going to go to. Natalie says people pleasing doesn't need to be so deeply intertwined with our identities because it's actually a habit. And while it's not easy, habits can change. You'd be amazed as well at how many people go, oh, I'm just such a people pleaser, but they actually don't really know what that means or how that's showing up in their life. Whereas actually, it's like, if you can even cut back on people pleasing, you will find that life is very different for you very, very quickly. For me, I'm in my 40s and I feel like I've entered a phase in my life where I care less and less about what people think or what people expect of me. Oh, it feels good. It feels so good. It's taken, you know, 40-something years to get. (laughs) Our hope today is to maybe, like, speed up that clock a little bit, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. This episode of Life Kit, curbing people-pleasing and how it's not just about saying no. So let's kind of just get a definition straight. Like, what does people-pleasing look like? What do people think it looks like? And what what are some actually kind of like insidious ways that people people please and they don't even realize it? So a lot of people think that people-pleasing equals being a doormat and being a Mm suck-up. But people-pleasing is basically doing what might, for all intentions and purposes, be good things, but for the wrong reasons. We suppress and repress who we are to please others so that we can gain attention, affection, approval, love, or validation, or to avoid conflict, criticism, Mm -hmm. increased stress, disappointment, loss, and rejection. Yeah, and it's also, I find, it can be a very sneaky behavior where... A lot, like you said, a lot of people think that people pleasing is you're a doormat and you just people walk all over you. But sometimes mm-hmm. it looks like hyper competence, right? Yeah. Perfectionism is basically a form of people pleasing. On some level, you hold yourself to a very high standard, likely an unrealistic standard because of what you think you might get or what it will help you to avoid. And a lot of people pleasers are overgivers. And workplaces are full of people pleasers. And you know who they are? They're the ones who always clean out the microwave. They always clean out Mm -hmm. the fridge. You know, people pleasers are the one who will stay quiet and let somebody else take credit for their work. They will stay quiet because they don't want to be seen as loud and aggressive and demanding and rude. Mm -hmm. For, For a people pleaser, in situations where you are afraid of displeasing others, where your priority is to be liked, where you're afraid of rejection, you are going to find it very, very difficult 
to do what you need to do for you. You're going to find it very difficult to have boundaries. You're very likely to go against yourself as a people pleaser in that instinct. So who do you feel like falls into this trap of people pleasing the most? Like who are kind of like the people who are prone to this behavior? I think that women are socialized to be people pleasers anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Particularly depending on which generation, like I'm born in the 70s and as women, we are told as young girls, be meek, be mild, be kind and sweet. Mm-hmm. We are, we're told that certain things are aggressive or rude or not feminine. And I wonder too, um, I think about my friends and colleagues who are marginalized identities and how they walk mm-hmm. through the world and how it's, it's also, it seems like a level of uh, survival technique too Absolutely. For, for some people as well. Well, people pleasing is a response to old hurt and loss, but it is undoubtedly, without a shadow of a doubt, a survival and coping mechanism that we've learned in childhood and then just continued on in adulthood. But you are also so right that depending on your background, your culture, your race, whether you're from a marginalized community, you will also may have felt that you have to suppress and repress aspects of yourself or try to tone police yourself mm-hmm. to fit in with the more dominant group. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, me as, you know, I'm, I'm a black woman, but I was born in England, raised in Dublin, Ireland, you know, traveled a bit. But part of my people pleasing was also about 10 years of my education I was the only black person in whatever educational establishment that I was in and you don't realize how you consciously and unconsciously edit and adapt yourself to fit in so that you are less conspicuous so that you so that people see you as being acceptable so that you don't attract for instance hate Mm -hmm. from somebody and bearing in mind as children we you know, feel things that don't make sense to us, Mm -hmm. that don't feel good. And we look for reasons consciously and unconsciously to explain why these might be. Because, of course, we don't want to be in that situation again. So talk a little bit more about how people-pleasing can really work against you uh, and why we're so drawn to it, even though we know it's not exactly (laughs) a great thing. I mean, like, you, when you lay it all out, it's like, why do I even do that? I mean, like, I know why I do it. Like you're you're explaining why, but it is like, it's so insidious. Yeah, but it's uh, the the thing about um, survival and coping mechanisms that we've learned in childhood is that they become maladaptive. Like we're not supposed Mm -hmm. to continue on with it in adulthood. So here we are and we're like, oh, well, I've got all the way through childhood into adulthood with this. This is how I get my brownie points. This is how I avoid this and that. And then it becomes like this habit of diminishing returns. The thing about people pleasing is that because we are basically misappropriating our good qualities, it is very easy to take on people pleasing as an identity. And it's why I have had so many people say to me, okay, so I cut back on people pleasing and now I'm just going to become like an a-hole, like everybody's going to hate me. Right. Yeah, it's the opposite just to say no every chance you can, right? (laughs) Maybe that's too extreme. Yeah, and it's like, everybody's going to hate me. Everybody's going to abandon me. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't help it that I'm a good listener, that, you know, (laughs) I'm kind and generous and all of these things. I'm looking at them going, what? No, you can be a good listener and kind and generous and giving with boundaries. 
so if you derive your value and your sense of purpose from being needed, from going around and pleasing others, then you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I will be naked without this. Yeah, it's unsettling. It's a big shift. Um, it's no small task to start to think about how you can pull back some of these tendencies, maybe on a, like a small scale at first. So let's yes. transition into some strategies. So um, I'm just going to give you a situation here. So let's say I'm getting a request from a coworker and I just know it's like not going to work at all. Like I already know, but I have this like siren in my chest going off and I really want to people please and it's happening. What should I do in that moment? There is great power in the pause, I say mm. to people, because you actually get to notice what you're thinking and feeling, what's being asked of you and whether it's really appropriate for the situation. And so just because a colleague asks us something, it doesn't mean that we've got to turn around and be like, oh, okay then. Um, but also like, it's just a suggestion. Like it's just feedback. Mm, yeah, and that's, good. that's a good reminder. It's not a court order. Like, <laughs> oh my God, like I came along and I asked you this thing. So get to it right now. <laughs> and so we have to remind ourselves of that. Like, was this a demand? Because if we're behaving like it's a, a demand, when a person has basically just made a suggestion, then we can calm down this inner dialogue with us. Uh, in those situations as well, where people make these suggestions about changing something, it is actually okay for us to say, do you know what? We're very far down the road mm -hmm. now on this, and it is too late to be going and making a change like this. Yes, in some instances, depending on the context, it works to give a brief explanation of why the change isn't possible because some people can feel as mm. if they are being shut down straight away. But I always say to people, particularly when you're a people pleaser, is you have to be careful of over explaining because then the person standing there in front of you going, uh, okay, like it I wasn't just that big asked of a deal. what you had to, right, <laughs> it yeah. really wasn't a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's looking at, well, what type of things tend to stress you out? If you don't notice, if you haven't noticed before, what it is that sets you off, pay attention to that. But also notice like, how are you feeling over the course of, of the day? Do you recommend like a journal for like a certain amount of time? Yeah, I recommend like spending a week just observing. I say to them, don't judge it, just observe. See it as you're gathering intel. How many yeses, how many noes? People pleasers do not have many noes or even maybes in their week. But what you really want to notice is other situations where before you've been like, oh, no, I couldn't say no to that. And then you do. And it's like, oh, the sky is still up there. Right. I am OK. Like the world has not basically collapsed all around me. Exactly. And are there other ones in there that the moment that you thought about saying no to that, you were filled with dread, panic, overwhelm, shame, whatever it might be. That's what you're looking for. Once you've gathered this intel, you then have an idea of, okay, there may be some small things that you can cut back because you know what? We don't need to go to 50% immediately, <laughs> but starting to actually cut back allows us to get a feel of what it can be like to be somebody who allows themselves to say or show no on occasion. So how do we say no? So what are some good starter kit <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, templates that people can practice with to say no? Well, what I teach people is to recognize that there is such a thing as a hard no and a soft no. Mm, and yeah. the reason why I say this is a hard no is, is clear and concise, not harsh. It's just clear, concise, you know, brief. Okay. Uh, so 
no thank you or you know thanks ever so much for asking but i'm not able to this week that's a, a, a hard no soft no's are where you give more of an explanation and where it's not necessarily you don't necessarily start out with no but you might start out with well i blah, 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 but i can't so but thank you Mm-hmm. The mistake that people make with nose is they get very, very fluffy, very, very detailed. <laughs> and all the person wants from you is a straight answer. They're going to feel like, oh, my God, like, have I done something terrible by asking this person to do this? Or why mm-hmm. is this person telling me like, oh, well, my cat got stuck up a tree. And then, you know, I don't have any clean underwear today. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, <laughs> mate, I just asked you, you know, is it possible for you to do da, 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 da? And so... People can feel a bit overwhelmed mm-hmm. by that or feel quite irritated or resentful with you for doing that. And so we don't need to go so fluffy and over apologetic with our nose. Um, so what's like a good, what's a good, like quick, like non-fluffy soft no? Uh, thank you so much for asking me to do this project. It sounds really exciting, but I don't have the bandwidth for it at this time. Elegant. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you thanked them. You know, it sounds really interesting. Although, please do not say that if it is not true. Because right. if you tell <laughs> people... Lie. Yeah, you still shouldn't yeah. lie if, you want, if you're trying to say no. Yeah, there's, a, there's actually a specific reason for that. Is that some people feel as if you have to compliment the person and make out like what they've asked you is really, really great. And that you would do it under other circumstances. Mm-hmm. Which means that if that comes up again, the person's going to ask you because you told them that it was great and that you would do it under other circumstances when what you really meant was actually thank you so much for asking me that project sounds really exciting but that's not my lane or that's not for me or whatever that might be and so we have to turn around and just be like I can't do that I don't want to do that most people not all but most people prefer to know exactly where they stand even if they feel a little bit disappointed they prefer to know where they stand it just saves everyone so much time yes and i feel like it actually um it makes people trust you more yeah because you i think something with people pleasing that i've done is that i i want to people please because i want people to like me and to feel like they trust me but then if they're just seeing that i'm kind of anxiously trying to move everything around to make everyone feel okay then they kind of see right through that and it just makes me a less trustworthy person or seemingly a less trustworthy person i also say as well that Part of the reason why we can benefit from pausing as a people pleaser is because we don't take enough account of what I call our bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So we don't really check our schedule. We don't check in with us and go, hmm, how is my day being going so far? Or how is my week? How am I feeling as a person? We just load us up. Yeah. You just load it all on and then it's like, okay, well, I'll figure it all out later and suffer. I'll miss dinner. I'll, I'll work late. I'll just give myself a really, really hard time later on and let down somebody that I actually don't want to let down because that's another big thing with people pleasers is yeah. letting down people and missing out on things that we actually do want to do because we've been too busy turning around and saying yes to stuff that we shouldn't. So the whole bandwidth thing is that every single person has bandwidth their own personal bandwidth and that is basically our capacity to be do and have the things that we need and want Mm -hmm. so the reason why I encourage people to observe their week is because the more of our time energy effort and emotions spent being and doing things that we don't actually need or want to do is the less bandwidth we have Mm -hmm. so 
we're going around as people pleasers spending up our bandwidth like it's just gonna keep you know you know topping itself up but the way that we're spending our bandwidth means that actually we affect our emotional mental physical and spiritual health yeah i'm so glad you bring up this idea of bandwidth because i think what like you're saying like people pleasing really kind of distracts you from yourself and your sense of self Mm -hmm. and kind of these small steps like you're saying like keeping a journal observing your people pleasing learning how to say no the soft no it really helps you not just you know give you a little bit more time and energy but it helps you just remind yourself who you actually are and what you actually want yeah absolutely because the a big thing that can change people pleasing for you is distinguish between desire and obligation Mm-hmm. Because if something feels like an obligation, uh, that is something that um, isn't, generally speaking, going to feel very good for us. We're going to end up feeling resentful and afraid, possibly some shame, possibly some guilt around that. And so if, as a people pleaser, you can notice, do I feel like I have to do this or do I feel as if I want to do this? But if we start to notice how much of what we're feeling is about desire, then we get to also understand, oh, when we're doing things that are based on a place of desire, which isn't always going to be about things that we're like, you know, jumping around going, oh, yes, I can't wait to do. But it's like, oh, I want to do that. Like, that's who I am. I'm happy to give it, you know, that's fine. But when we start to notice how much of our life is about that versus a sense of obligation, we then have an opportunity to reassess. Mm-hmm. And really look at, oh, wow. Like we might look at our week and be like, geez, I spend like 90% of my week doing stuff that feels like I'm trapped or obliged. Yeah. Wow, this is why I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is why I wake up feeling, you know, the sort of sense of dread. Like I say to people, if you do things from a place of guilt or obligation, it is guaranteed to lead to resentment. So all of this going around being nice and nice and doing all this people pleasing is also just covering up all of this hidden anger underneath yeah. and people pleasing as well. <laughs> and I don't know if you've if sometimes noticed this as well, but it's about showing others how to behave. So when mm. we're like trying to be like employee of the year or girlfriend or boyfriend of the year or whatever, it's like we're dropping hints to the other person's like, look at all of this stuff I'm doing. Why can't you be better at what you're supposed to be doing? I'm a good person. Why can't you be a good person? And if they don't deliver, that's where the resentment comes in for people pleaser. After everything I've done for you. Yeah. And that is like the calling card of people pleasers is that even if we don't necessarily say the words like after everything I've done for you, there is this sense of I have been robbed. I have right. been used. Oh my God, I have completely. been shortchanged, taken advantage of. And I say, do you know what? Okay, fair enough. Because of course, if you're always the giver, what does the other person have to be? The taker. Yeah. Well, I am very glad that you said yes to this interview because I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. That You didn't have to give me a soft no. So thank you very much <laughs> for... <laughs> For saying yes to this, because I really do think this is incredibly helpful and people uh, really crave this information. Thank you so much for, for having me. It was a real pleasure to talk to you today. That was Natalie Liu of Baggage Reclaim. So let's recap. Takeaway number one, 
get some data. Notice how you spend your bandwidth, that time, energy, effort, and emotion. How are you spending in yes, no, and maybes? The next is notice the difference between wanting to do something and being like, oh my God, like the anxiety, the resentment, the frustration, like start to notice how do I feel when I sense somebody else's need or when somebody asks me to do something. Takeaway number two, understand your bandwidth and then learn to respect it. Start paying attention to what are my energy levels like today? How am I feeling today? How am I doing today? If you notice that you're not feeling too great, if you notice that your energy isn't too great, guess what? Don't load yourself up at the same level as you did the previous day. Takeaway number three, learn the difference between a desire and an obligation. But when we start to notice how much of our life is about that versus a sense of obligation, we then have an opportunity to reassess. Takeaway number four, before you say yes, pause. And takeaway number five, learn the art of the soft no. For more NPR Life Kit, check out our other episodes. There's one about how to start therapy and another about living with uncertainty. You can find those at npr.org slash lifekit. And if you love LifeKit and want more, subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash LifeKit newsletter. And here, as always, is a completely random tip, this time from Daniel Murphy. Have you ever gotten home from the store and realized your peaches weren't ripe yet? The trick is to put them in a brown paper bag and let them sit on the counter for a day or two. The bag holds in a gas that the peaches give off and causes them to ripen quicker. Check the bag after one to two days and they should be slightly soft and give off a really fragrant scent. If you've got a good tip, leave us a voicemail at 202-216-9823 or email us a voice memo at lifekit at npr.org. This episode was produced by Audrey Wynn. Beth Donovan is our senior editor. I'm Megan Kane. Thank you for listening. Activist Aaron Dorr tells his flock of pro-gun followers on Facebook that he's tirelessly fighting for their Second Amendment rights. But if that's true, why do so many pro-gun Republicans hate him so much? Aaron Dorr is a scam artist, a liar, and he is doing Iowans no services and no favors. Find out on the No Compromise podcast from NPR.